morning. Ten years ago, Grace Community Church was eight months old, and uh, we had uh, one office. It had no books or bookcases. It had no pictures. It uh, had a old folding table and a little metal folding chair, no computers, no internet access, uh, no landline. It was nothing. It was me and a folding table and a metal chair and this lone dark room with a cell phone, and that was it. And my phone rang, and it was my wife, and she said the uh, tower, one of the World Trade Center towers had been hit. And I immediately said, well, how big was the plane? And she said, well, we don't know yet. I said, well, call me back, because I had no access to anything where I was, and just let me know, keep me updated. She called me back a few minutes later, and she said, the other tower's been hit, you need to come home. I said, well... Um, you know, we're in Washington, D.C., New York City, and I mean, this is a terrible thing, but I mean, what, she said, if those two towers were hit, the next thing is going to be the White House or the Capitol or the Pentagon, so you need to come home now. And I said, okay. So uh, I started packing up slowly, and then the phone rang, and she said, look, the Pentagon just been hit, so just leave whatever you got. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget being in that office and the feelings that I felt and driving home. Um, a terrible thing. Today we want to talk for just a few moments about heaven's perspective on suffering. There's a little outline on the back of that blue bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And I'd like to start off by just reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the verses I'm going to share today will talk specifically about suffering because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but not exclusively. In other words, it doesn't exclude out the suffering that we experience from terrorist attacks on September 11th or death or other tragedies that we experience in this life. Second Corinthians 4 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Now pay attention to this next verse, verse number 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. I'd never seen that before. Carrying death around all the time so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive and are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We always carry around death. You know, I want my life and I would want your life to be like a storybook, to have a storybook existence to be like a fairy tale. And when I talk to people who you know, come and meet me at the office or I meet them somewhere and they're in the midst of some kind of suffering that's happening in their life, I wish I could say, you know what, you're going to live happily ever after right here, right now. That I could do something. That I could somehow you know, take this Bible and, I don't know, say Jesus in a certain way. And it's just going to make everything be okay. But this world 
isn't like a fairy tale, right? So we read about Snow White and she eats the apple. But does she die? She doesn't. Or Beauty and the Beast, whatever that girl's name, and she was caught in the tower or whatever, right? And, and then the beast, and then he fights that other guy who's really mean, and he's almost ready to fall off the side of the castle. But he doesn't, does he? He doesn't. Like, he gets up right up to the point of, of death and total disaster. We think about Cinderella, that wicked stepmother, you know, right up to the point. So we want our lives to be filled with kind of drama and excitement and fear. But when you get right up to disaster, disaster is avoided, right? Is avoided. That's the fairy tale. The problem is, is on September 11th, those planes didn't almost hit the towers. They hit the towers. And I wish I could say for my life and for your life, hey, look, it's going to be okay. Your life is going to be a fairy tale right here, right now. My daughter has always gone to the same school since kindergarten. Very, very small school she goes to. And for the most part, the kids in her class have all been there since kindergarten too. She's now uh, in seventh grade and she's started a brand new school. But for the most part, for those first six or seven years, it's always been the same kids. There's only 13 or 14 of them in the class. And, you know, though they don't always like each other all the time, you know what I mean? I mean, they love each other. They have become a family because they're with each other for all that time. Same classrooms, same kids every day, all day. No switching classrooms. It's all about those 12 or 13 kids. They become very tight. She's had a little friend in that classroom named Jack Donaldson. Just a cute kid, smart as a whip, little tiny, thin kid. I remember Jack just, he always got in trouble, which is one of the things that's so endearing about him, you know, just innocent stuff, always going to the principal's office. He'd have this little, because they all wear uniforms at her school, and their little khaki pants and that belt so tight, it's like five feet hanging out over here, and he's High water's coming up and everything. And so Thursday, he's out playing with his sister and a couple friends. And there's this little tiny creek. Tiny. We rode down there yesterday just to see it. Barely any water flowing through it. But on Thursday, we got a lot of rain. And it was raging. So he had just run over there real quick to take a look before he ran inside because his mom was calling to come inside. And he went over there with two of his friends and he stepped on a rock and he slipped and he fell in. And he found his body two hours later. Wonderful family. Don't deserve that for a second. The mom was right there. I mean, she was just a little bit behind. You know what I'm saying? The house was close. So she went down almost immediately to look for him when she heard that he went over to the creek and the kid. But it did not end like a fairy tale. Our lives won't necessarily end like a fairy tale right here, right now. So I just want to offer a couple observations from the Bible about suffering, maybe from human uh, heaven's perspective. And the first thing is this, everybody. Suffering is not optional. Man, I wish it was. I want you to know, in case you're new here, 
or this is your first day, that if you think I'm the kind of guy that's saying, suffer for Jesus, I just want to be clear, I wish this wasn't true for you or for me or for anybody else. But as you read through the scripture, suffering is not optional. Romans chapter 8. If we're children, then we're heirs. And we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That part's excellent. But now look what it says. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What's his glory? His glory is heaven. His glory where all of our dreams come true. Heaven, paradise. Where we all want to go. Paradise. We can share in that portion, is what the scripture is saying, if we will share in his sufferings, almost like it's a requirement. Jesus Christ says, follow me to his disciples on earth. And we are hoping to be followers of Christ, trying to be followers of Christ. And so he says, follow me. And then where does he walk through on this earth? He walks through a bunch of mess. He walks through a bunch of suffering. And so if we're following Jesus, we're following him right through the fire. Right through all of that mess. John 15, 20, Jesus says to his disciples, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. The second thing about suffering in the Bible is suffering can produce, not saying it absolutely will, everybody, but it can produce a positive effect. First Peter chapter 1 says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come, all the trials, all the suffering, all the grief, why, what's happened? These things have come, why? So that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I have tried to tell God, I said, God, you know what? I'm not like anybody else. I mean, other people grow because their faith grows because of suffering. But you know, God, my faith actually grows when I have no suffering. So far, he's not buying it. James chapter 1 says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Why, why should I be happy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish it work, its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it starts out with suffering. And it ends with not lacking anything. Suffering. To not, it can produce a positive effect. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. Tell me, what happens in the United States of America in the days following September 11th? Did church attendance just go hog wild? Attendance to church has just exploded. Prayer meetings that nobody attends except the pastor just, ex just grew. It's not a guarantee that it's going to grow our faith, turn our attention to God. You know, a lot of us were really angry. I mean, there were some points, you know, I was angry. God, how could you let this happen? But you know what? I was talking to God. And so it can produce this positive effect that we see. I want to read you a quote um, a book here from Francis Collins called The Language of God. Language of God. Francis Collins is uh, uh, one of the world's leading scientists. He was the head of the Human Genome Project. So he's a fairly smart guy. And he's been thinking about all this stuff. And he has a little section here about suffering. 
And he wrote something. I was reading it just the other day, and I thought, that's pretty good. He says this, quote, consider this. If the most important decision we are to make on this earth is a decision about belief, and if the most important relationship we are to develop on this earth is a relationship with God, and if our existence as spiritual creatures is not limited to what we can know and observe during our earthly lifetime, then human sufferings take on a wholly new context. From heaven's perspective, my faith is more important than my comfort and my happiness. I recently went this past week to a leadership conference with my uh, community group. You saw when you came in, we have all these tables set up outside. They're for sign-ups for all of our community groups. And if you don't know what these are, you can stop by the table and you can ask, what's, what's this all about? My community group, we're like a family. There's eight of us guys in my group, and we're just a family. We hang out together, we pray for each other, we encourage each other, good, bad, ugly. We're committed to God and we're committed to each other. So we went down this church leadership conference. I've been to a lot of church leadership conferences in the past 26 years. It was the best one I've ever been to. You know, there were seven speakers at this conference. Half of those speakers in this past year have suffered tremendous pain. They've had their own personal tragedies. That suffering has a positive effect. It makes a difference. Fourth thing about suffering. Suffering is rewarded. It seems clear in Scripture there is a connection between the greater the amount of suffering, the greater the reward that is to come. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus Christ, Sermon on the Mount. This is what he said. Blessed are you when people insult you. I never looked at an insult like that. Persecute you. Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Why should I be glad when people insult me and say all kinds of nasty things about me? You know what Jesus goes on? He says this, because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. There's a connection between the greater the suffering here on earth, the greater the reward in heaven. It's a connection. Philippians chapter 2, talking about Jesus. Notice the connection here. Jesus Christ, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, notice what happens immediately next. The very next thing it says, therefore, because of all that suffering, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. There's a connection in Scripture between great suffering and great reward. In Matthew chapter 20, Two of Jesus' disciples, actually, two of his disciples he was really close to. I mean, he had the 12, but then inside the 12, he had really three really close friends, Peter, James, and John. And James and John were brothers, and they were mama's boys. And so they said to their mother one day, Mom, we want you to do something for us. They were such wimps. We want you to do something for us. We want you to go to Jesus, and we want you to say to Jesus, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, and you're sitting on that big throne, and you got all that glory and all that power and all that honor... I want you to have my boys, James and John, sit on the thrones on the right and on the left. I want them to be honored and glorified in such incredible... You're thinking, my goodness, 
Jesus like, what are you doing? Have you been asleep for three years as I've been preaching? You know, when I talked about being a servant of all and being the last and all these things, you know, when you sleep through sermons, you could do really dumb things. And then it's written about in history books, just a thought, okay? So <laughs> miss this whole thing. Can they sit? Now notice what Jesus says. He says, you don't know what you're asking. And they say, yeah, we do. We want this honor. Check out what he says next. He says this. He says, look. Are you willing to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? What's the cup? The cup is all the suffering, the beating, the crucifixion, the death. Are you willing to suffer that greatly in order to have this great reward? Jesus makes a clear connection between great suffering and a great reward. Fourth point. Suffering is temporary. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, do not lose heart. Paul's life was an absolute wreck, everybody. His life was pathetic because of all the suffering and pain that he went through. How in the world could he write, don't lose heart? Though outwardly you're wasting away. Isn't that a good picture? Does that make you not want to lose heart? Does that get you excited? I'm wasting away. Though outwardly you're wasting away, yet inwardly you're being renewed day by day. Our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In the Greek, what Paul writes here is the word hyperbole. He says, in other words, all of your sufferings combined, as great as they are, if you piled them all up and you put them in this big, huge, massive bowl, they can't even come close to how outrageous your rewards are going to be in heaven. Heaven is absolutely incredible. You can't imagine, and if you caught a glimpse of heaven for a second, all of a sudden the size of your suffering would just shrink right down to the ground because heaven would be absolutely awesome. This is what Paul is trying to convey here. He says in Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present sufferings right here, right now, aren't even worth comparing with the glory, future, with the glory that is to become and is going to be revealed in us. Have you ever been headed somewhere that's really incredible? Maybe you're getting ready to go see somebody. You know, you're all psyched up and in love with somebody. You can't wait to get there and see them. Or maybe you're going someplace. Maybe you're going to take a vacation. You've been reading about a place, and man, you, it's paradise. You can't wait to get there. Maybe you've been to that place, and you're returning back. And you are just so filled to the brim. Your thoughts are focused on that. It, it's, just, it's just filling your mind, and that's all you can think about. A number of years ago, I was at the office, and I was the very next day, I was flying out and going to this place. I was so excited. I'd been there before, and I knew it was awesome, and I couldn't wait to get back. I've been thinking about this place for months. You know what I'm saying? I just, my thoughts have been consumed. And now here's the final day. It's my last day at the office. And I remember talking to people, you know, and something had happened, you know, and gone wrong. And we had some trouble that we had to deal with. And I remember saying to them, I don't care what you do. You can't get me down today. Try as hard as you want. You're not going to mess my day up today. You know why? Because I know where I'm going tomorrow. I was so excited. I'm driving home. And for some reason on that day, traffic was like really bad. Really bad in Washington, D.C. And I'm driving home and there's anger. You can feel it. You ever been those days? You're on the roadway. You can feel the anger. It's like pulsing out of the asphalt. Boom, boom. And it was pulsing. And people were windows down, screaming at each other. There was a few, you know, fingers flying around and stuff like that and comments. And I remember I felt like just screaming out the window, you can't get me down today because I know I'm so excited where I'm going. My cell phone rang, right? It was my mother-in-law. 
I said, you can't, even you, even you can't do it with all of your expertise and all of your skill. Completely, perfectly designed by God to do this mission in life. You even can't do this to me today. Because I was so excited about where I'm headed. Look, we need to fix our eyes on where we are headed. Because there are no guarantees right here, right now, that your dreams are coming true. I wish it was. I wish it was. But we have that perspective that is so focused about right here and right now. We can't live life the way we're supposed to live it. And Paul, even though he is experiencing so many terrible things in his life, Right here, right now, he's focused on what is up ahead. We need, final point, we need a revelation from God. That's exactly what Paul gets. He gets this revelation from God about suffering and about heaven, about life. It is amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll have to look it up. Let me just explain it to you. The first five verses. At the end of chapter 11, Paul's talking about all the sufferings that he went through. I mean, man, and life was terrible. He suffered all kinds, and he lists them. You know, I was beaten eight different times. What would they do? They'd strip his clothing off, and in front of a crowd of people, they'd take out this big whip, and they would just let him have it. This isn't like a little, you know, beating. As kids, we used to joke about this when our dads would say, I'm going to get my belt. And we'd say, ah, dad's going to, you know, get his belt. And we remember those days, they ripped that belt off and, and run. Exactly right. He'd run. My kids have heard that saying now. I need my belt. I say it to them sometimes. They're doing something. I'm going to, that's it. I'm going to get my belt. They lay on the ground and laugh. I mean, they, what has happened to this world? There's no fear at all. They're dying, hilariously laughing on the ground. Anyway, uh, it wasn't simple like that what Paul went through. It was tragic. When you were beaten like that, it disfigured you. Paul had no respect, people inside, outside the church, the Corinthian church particularly. They were all about surface stuff. They were all about the way you looked and your talents, the way you spoke. A lot of arrogance that was going on there. And he had no respect. There was no respect. I mean, they disrespected him like crazy because they weren't impressed because this guy looked so pathetic because he endured so much. Eight different specific times he was beaten brutally. He was thrown into prisons repeatedly. He was hunted down like a dog, not for one year or two years or three years, for, 30, for the final 30 years of his life. He was pummeled with rocks and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three different times. He was cold. He was hungry. The guy's life, everybody, what I'm trying to say to you. You take all your suffering and everybody's suffering and put it in a bowl and you go compare it with Paul. He did a lot of suffering, yet he says, don't lose heart. And so after he lists for us all that suffering at the end of 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us something in the beginning of chapter 12, and this is very interesting and something I pray all of us have. He says, 14 years ago, I was caught up to the third heaven. What does that mean, caught up to the third heaven? The first heaven is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the space shuttle flies. The third heaven is where only God flies. And Paul says, 14 years ago, I was caught up into heaven, and I heard things and I saw things that I cannot even express. 
They should not even be talked about. That's how. So Paul didn't say, you know what? Oh, man, God got this revelation from God. I'm going to go write a book about heaven and sell a bunch of copies of it. Paul was so consumed, everybody, by what he saw. It was so outrageously phenomenal, heaven. He said, I can't talk about it. As smart as he was, he couldn't even put words to it. And even here, all he says is, I saw this thing, and that's all he says. That's it. Heaven is amazing. Heaven is paradise. Heaven is a place that will never get bored. It's absolutely awesome. That's why Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, we fix, in the context of suffering, fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fix our eyes. Fix our eyes to that. The word fix there means, it implies a lot of hard work. You know how hard that is to do? Ever been to a place where you're supposed to fix your eyes on one thing, yet your attention kept getting drawn to something else? Sin. Work hard. Fix your eyes and your mind on that. Colossians 3.1, Paul says this, Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. How many people... I'm hoping there's a few more than in the first service. I asked this in the first service. So please, help me out. How many people have ever heard this? Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Is anybody in the house that's heard that? All right, wonderful. We have about 20 people. Those ungodly people in the first service, man, they... I heard that all my life. All my life, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not ever going, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to walk around thinking about heaven, have my head up in the clouds all the time, right? That I am no earthly good. I'm not, I'm going to fight that. I'm not going to be so heavenly minded. And after about 20 years of doing that, I realized something. I don't have any problem in the world being heavenly minded. None. Like I'm, I'm fighting something that, you know, now if you want to talk about don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good pull up a chair we'll talk all day long i'm talk, i'm going through this sermon last night with krista you know you know what my problems are my problems are being selfish my problems are i'm too impatient my problems are i don't listen enough i'm quick to speak quick to get angry i'm slow to forgive those are my problems i preached that last night to krista and she's like amen 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 <laughs> My problems aren't being heavenly minded. My problems are being earthly minded. And Paul says the best thing that we can do is to be heavenly minded in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. We focus on that and that that will make your life. That will allow you to live the life that Jesus Christ wants you to live in the midst of all of your junk. That's what he's saying. So NFL season kicked off on Thursday, right? I noticed some of you with your jerseys. That's uh, that's wonderful. And I noticed some of you the redskin jerseys on. God bless you. Okay. We look forward to a big win today. And equally, we look forward to a horrendous Dallas Cowboys loss today. Amen. So tell me this. What is a football player focused on? What? He's focused on the end zone. He's focused on the goal line. What's a basketball player focused on? He's focused on the hoop. Look. You could, you could be like Curly from the Harlem. Is anybody old enough to remember Curly from the Harlem Globe Drives? Okay, you could dribble. You could dribble all over the place. But if you can't put the ball through the hoop, you lose the game, right? If you can't put the puck in the net, you lose the game. If you can't put the soccer ball into the net, into the goal, you lose the game. If you are a golfer and you can drive it 400 yards and everybody stands back and says, Wow, that is incredible. But you can't put that ball and that little cup 
You're going to lose the game. And if as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you cannot have yourself consumed with heaven, thinking fixed on the realities of heaven, then we will not win the game that Jesus Christ wants us to win the game. We will not handle life and the decisions we have to make the way that Jesus Christ wants us to handle it. We need to have our thoughts fixed absolutely on heaven. This is what it's telling us. Look, let me conclude by saying this because I know I'm out of time. I want to fix everybody's problem. If, if I could have things the way I wanted today, every single one of you in here that has a problem, I wish I could just wave this Bible and wham, it just happens. I wish I could do it for you and I wish I could do it for me. Right here, right now. I wish I could make all your dreams come true right here, right now. But we're not promised that. Every single one of your dreams can come true in glory and in heaven. Every single one of them. But right here, right now, it's not guaranteed. Those planes hit those buildings. And you might not ever get married. And you might not ever have kids. And the healing, your physical healing that you so desperately want, it might not ever happen. And your finances might not get any better. And your marriage that absolutely stinks might not get any better. And that kills me to say that. It kills me to say that. But your dreams can come true. Your dreams can come true in heaven. Fix your thoughts and your mind on the realities of heaven is what Paul says. Here's what I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you that heaven is awesome. It's awesome. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9 says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is absolutely amazing. So I was reading in the Washington Post yesterday. Jack Donaldson, this little 12-year-old boy that's passed away. And the family has gone through this horrendous thing. I'm reading the article about what his family is saying about him. And they interviewed his mom. His mom was saying, Jack, just, he was a different boy. He really thought he was a smart kid. And he thought about the deeper things in life. And then it says this quote. She says this. He would say this. I don't know why people are so afraid to die because heaven is so great. Now, from a 12-year-old, that, my friends, is brilliant theology. And it's exactly what the Bible is trying to say to us. We're going to have communion. The music team's going to come now. It's going to play for us. And I just want to remind you, as you're taking communion this morning, what is communion? We're remembering the sufferings of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what it is. When we take that bread, the broken body of Jesus Christ, in that cup, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ, what we're saying is when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we're saying, I'm sharing in your sufferings, Jesus. I'm examining my heart and the humility of my heart and where my relationship with you, and I am sharing in your suffering so that one day I can share in your glory. And all I want you to do today, I want you to think about this. Are you willing to share in the sufferings of Christ so that you might share in his glory? I need a heavenly mindset. I need to be more heavenly minded. I sent an email to the prayer team who is going to be right against this wall over here. During communion, you're more than welcome to go.
And I asked them, I said, would you start praying now? For all the people you'll pray for on Sunday, would you begin praying right now that people who come to see you, pray for them that they would have a heavenly mindset? Because this world, everybody, is very difficult. It's very tragic. It's very hurtful. And there's no magic wand that's going to make all that suffering go away, but there is a way to deal. That is to fix our thoughts on the realities of heaven so that one day every single dream that God has put in your heart will come true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that it is clear, it is powerful, it's not sugar-coated. You don't try to sell us something that's not actually going to happen. But God, you're very real. And Jesus, you came and you suffered and you died. Help us this morning, Father, to gain heaven's perspective on suffering. And Father God, to give us that same revelation you gave the Apostle Paul. That we would see heaven for all that it is. And that you would give us a heavenly mindset. That we might be able to manage the tragedies that we face here on this earth father i pray that you would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup to the honor and the glory of jesus christ amen